Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Morning to you, middays on Super Talk Mississippi Live in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes back with you again today before we pack up the Element Wealth Studios. Big box. Takes a big box to pack it up and take it on the road. Uh, I believe it's tomorrow. Going to be in Tupelo, right? Tupelo at the furniture market there. I'm not sure which building. If you've never been to the Tupelo furniture market, there are... Three, maybe four buildings now. I know there's three big ones, um, and we're going to be there for Sanctuary Hospice. If you didn't see the story yesterday on Good Things, just an incredible story. Uh, I encourage you to go to our website uh, or Rebecca Turner's uh, Facebook group and read about the story that we had yesterday of a, a gentleman who is at Sanctuary Hospice who kind of had like a make-a-wish type situation where... He wanted to go to an Ole Miss game. Had never been in his entire life, and uh, Super Talk and Sanctuary Hospice kind of worked it out to where he could go to a, a football game, his first ever. Um, and it's just a, a really kind of heartwarming story with all the bad stuff going on in the headlines these days. Maybe you could use a smile, and uh, that one will provide you with one. And it's such a great thing that we have some good things to talk about. So like I was talking about yesterday, sometimes you have to dig for them when I was giving the list of the 15 most dangerous states and we're surrounded by the top four and Mississippi wasn't anywhere on the list. That's a good thing, but it's not presented as such. Sometimes, though, one just reaches out and grabs you, and that story is a perfect example of it. That was one of them. You don't have to dig to find the good news there. There are good things happening. We just sometimes get so caught up in focusing on the bad stuff that we don't notice them. Uh, But you'll get to hear about that and more tomorrow uh, with Gerard at the Tupelo Furniture Market. 20th anniversary of Celebration Village. Then Thursday, the Gallo Show uh, at Communiversity. I can't say that word. Okay, now you got to try. I want to hear you try it. Communiversity. See, you can say it. I had to really think about it, though. You did a great job. Well done. Uh, I believe uh, Mandy uh, is going to be filling in for Paul. Mandy uh, Ginesekera, uh at the University in Columbus on Thursday. And then Friday, well, it's high school football Friday still, even though that's winding down. Are you counting the days? You know, it's one of those things where you kind of dread it before. You're, you're excited about it, but at the same time you're thinking, oh, there goes all my Friday nights for the next three months, essentially. Um and once it gets here, it starts to get fun. And now it's really in the fun part of the season. Uh, the first couple of weeks, are there's some fun games in there, but it's really this week, next week, and then the last week of the season that are the most fun to me. 
Uh, and then you get into the playoffs after that. And it really does. It, it seems like it gets here, and it gets worse every year as I get older. It seems like it gets here, and then it just goes by in a flash. I cannot believe that we're already talking about the end of the regular season. Some teams have just two games left. They'll have a game on Friday night, and then they'll have a game next week, and they're in the playoff mode. Or for some teams, if you didn't make the playoffs, you you put together the basketball roster and getting the nets out. Letting the air out of the football and <laughs> yeah. storing them for the yeah. winter. Yeah. Doing inventory, as we say. So, uh, yeah, high school football, is, it's one of the things that Mississippi does really well. And this year's been – last year we had a little bit of a hangover from COVID. We had some issues still. You had a lot of forfeited games because of COVID things here and there. We had referee shortages across the board. There was one week last year where we had to, or two weeks last year, where we had to play games on Thursday night and Friday night. We had to split them down the middle because we didn't have enough referees to cover all the games on Friday night. Um, So the refs had to do double duty, do a game Thursday, and then turn around and do a game on Friday. We haven't had that this year yet, knock on wood. It seems like COVID is finally in the the rear view for us as far as um, forfeiting games and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying there won't be issues on down the road. There certainly could be, but it seems like this year was back to normal. This year felt more like 2019 than it did 2021, and that's a good thing for high school football. Oh, it's such a good thing. You know, you talk about the early uh, season and the first couple of weeks are kind of hit or miss, and and I think that's because there seems to be two philosophies amongst high school football programs. Those non-conference games right at the beginning, the tune-up games, the first two weeks, you either try to schedule Alabama University or the JV from Toad Lake, Arkansas. There there is no middle ground there. You either want the best or the worst to get tuned up. And you know what? It seems that the teams that schedule the Alabamas of high school football and the powerhouse programs, those are the ones that do better long term. The ones that schedule our Sisters of the Poor and, you know, those type schools for four games straight until the regional games kick in, those are the ones that usually suffer. And we have teams, we have some teams, I'll I'll point out one, Jefferson Davis County, who is the current 3A state champions. They are so good. They beat a 6A team this year. They played like two or three defending state champions from other classifications. They are so good, they can't get teams to schedule them. They have to, I think they played an out-of-state school last week because no one, they had an open date on their schedule, uh, they didn't have a regional game, so they needed an opponent, and nobody wanted to play them. Well, and if you think about it, if you're a 6A coach, and uh, this school comes to you, and last year they beat a 6A team, you don't want to be the next 6A coach to say, well, we only got one loss, it was to a 3A, but we only have one loss, we're doing great, so you're just going to kind of avoid that because there's no upside for the 6A. Yeah, there's there's none. If they win, what are they going to do? Brag they beat a three A? Yeah, exactly right. You know, so there's no upside to it. And high school football this year, for whatever reason, has more parity across the board than I've seen in a long time, as far as smaller classifications beating larger classifications. We had several instances this year of smaller classifications beating not just larger classifications, but powerhouse larger classification schools. And that's something that we didn't see in years past. The other thing that Mississippi High School football is doing that is doing really well is they're making these non-regional games more interesting. They're scheduling state champion versus state champion. 
um, which is something that used to be very rare. I can remember just a couple occasions in the past 15 years or however long I've been doing high school football where you had two defending state champions playing each other. It just didn't really happen a whole lot. This year we had multiple games where that happened. So it's it's been a very fun season. I hate to see it come to an end, but I am kind of glad to get my Friday nights back. Uh, when we end in December, this ain't, it's it's not over yet. We no. still got to go till December 3rd, I believe, until the uh, state championship games at the Rock. You know, I mentioned I invoked Alabama University. So I just have to tell you my favorite meme after this weekend with Tennessee winning as time expired with a field goal. Favorite meme I saw was a picture of Nick Saban bent over, screaming, and somebody photoshopped in that he was getting hit in the back of the head with a mustard bottle. That was by <laughs> far the best I have seen so far. It yeah. was perfect. you got to watch those mustard bottles. They'll get you. Uh, so we uh, one good thing, talking about high school football, and that's why I mentioned it, aside from the fact that you are the high school football swami right now, uh, is the fact that Friday night... Would you say, would it be a fair statement to say it's going to be the first Friday night, two weeks before the end of the season, where it's going to feel like football weather finally? I haven't seen the forecast for Friday. Today, if you woke up today and walked outside, I know I did take my dogs out, and I had to put on the slippers uh, because it was a little chilly out there, and I think it's going to warm up a little bit, but... It seems like we've kind of made the turn to where those 80-degree days are going to be few and far between, hopefully. I love fall. It's my favorite uh, season of the year. Um, and you'll start at these Friday night football games. Somebody will break out an old barrel and, and start a fire in it pretty soon. That's that's when you know that fall is really here. Well, to me, the, the canary in that coal mine is when they start selling hot chocolate at the concession stand. That's how you know fall has officially arrived. <laughs> Problem is, past few years, nobody wanted hot chocolate during the football season. It was too hot. So we're finally getting some cooler weather, and I think we'll be able to uh, be a little bit uh, <clears throat> more comfortable. Might get to wear a light jacket to the football game. That's the way it should be. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, Dan in Hattiesburg said if a 6A team beat Jefferson Davis, formerly Bassfield, they would brag about it. Well, it depends on the 6A team. Well, they would. I mean, that was a 2A powerhouse, and that they combined with uh, another school, I can't remember, to form Jefferson Davis County about five years ago, and they've won three state championships in that five-plus years. Yeah, well, Bassfield was always a powerhouse. They were always tough. Coach Man Cusco, yeah. You, you didn't like to see them on the schedule. No, 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 no. You put that one down as a question mark. You didn't tell <laughs> them that in the locker room, but when you were scoping out the season, that was a question mark to you. So a little bit of a point, but still, I don't think, well... I started to use South Haven as an example. South Haven may not be the best example to trot out right this second. Undefeated. Yeah, they're undefeated right now, but they're still, you know, we went for a while there. South Haven was just an automatic win across the board all the way through. They have to fight for some now. They're doing well this year. But they're doing very well. They're still a powerhouse, no doubt about it. We continue on Middays from the Element Well Studios next. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Super Talk Mississippi. Live in the Element Wealth Studios, Dave Hughes here. From the 662, sorry to be a buzzkill, but Friday through Tuesday, all have highs are 80 of above or above. Uh, if if you could, Will, I don't know where the button is or I would click it. Could you block that person? We don't need this kind of neck. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, the forecast, seriously, uh, for the weekend, uh, looking ahead, yeah, lows Friday night right around 50. Pretty pretty much everywhere in the state, with the exception of the Gulf Coast. Jackson, forecast low of 53 expected. Uh, Hattiesburg is going to have a forecast low of 51. Uh, folks up in Oxford Friday night, forecast low of 50. So it's right around the 50-degree mark. And we won't talk about that number that starts with an 8 that is the forecast high for Friday and Saturday for several of those locations. Because, well, again, we don't need that kind of negativity in our life. We're trying the best we can. We really are. It's snowing in Cadillac, Michigan, Dave tells us. Well, <clears throat> stinks to be you. That, that wasn't very nice, was it, Will? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, they are getting snow up there. I've got family up there in Michigan, and the snow has already begun. It began yesterday. So I guess it's fitting, but... Guess when the Christmas movies start, Will? I have, they've probably already started. They start Friday. The Hallmark Channel is starting their Countdown to Christmas movie marathon on Friday with a Christmas movie every day starting October 21st through Christmas. They don't even let Halloween get out of the way now? No. No. Christmas creep is real, and it continues. I mean, it's bad enough that Hobby Lobby wanted me to buy garland and a wreath back in June. That's bad enough. We went into one of the big box stores, um, hardware stores, looking for some more Halloween decorations, and there were none to be found. Oh, yeah, they're gone. That's over. It was all Christmas stuff. Well, and you know what bothers me, though? Because I get it. Some people don't like Halloween. I don't know why, but some people don't. And they, they want to kind of do away with it or ignore it or whatever. Okay, fine. Thanksgiving. So you're saying we should skip over giving thanks and get right to the gifts and the sparkly lights. That's the message you're giving because there is a whole other holiday, a major one, between Halloween and Christmas. But we're going to ignore that completely. The day where we're supposed to give thanks for everything God has done for us. You want to blow right past that one, huh? That, that seems right. Yeah, I noticed a lot of people in my neighborhood have not put out Halloween decorations, but instead they put out fall decorations, and I think that's just laziness because they can <laughs> just put it out it in up. October and leave it up through the rest of November, you know. I like it. Yeah, well, that that, that is an efficient use of time. That's not laziness. Yeah. It, it's the same thing. It's just all in how you put it. But to me, I don't know. I don't know. We we get in such a hurry, and it's all driven by the uh, by you know the, the marketplace, and we keep creeping it further and further and further back in the year. I keep saying we're going to loop it around, and Christmas one year, Christmas twenty twenty three is going to start on December twenty sixth, twenty twenty two. We're we're moving in that direction, but the Christmas movies start 
this Friday, there are literally, when you count all the different networks and streaming services and everybody else that is offering a wide variety of Christmas movies, up to and including Fox Nation, by the way, they're on the Christmas movie schedule, you go through, it's over 60, I think it was, different Christmas movies that are going to be put out. The first one coming up this week is, uh, what's the name of it, uh, Noel Next Door is the one that they're doing Friday. Never heard of it? I know. I know. We're, we're just cranking them out to be cranking them out. Fifteen different networks and streamers. Uh, Apple TV is doing one called Spirited. It is uh, This one might be okay. Uh, it's a new take on The Christmas Carol. Uh, Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds starring in it. Okay. I would give it a shot if I had Apple TV+, Plus, which I don't. But if I did, I might. But I just feel like we are always in such a rush for everything, unless it's fixing the water system in Jackson. We are in a nonstop rush. And as a result, we're pushing things earlier and earlier. And as a result of that, we're not enjoying anything anymore. Yeah. It used to be you would wait until after Thanksgiving to put up the hot, uh, the Christmas decorations, and it made it a little bit more special. Now it's, I mean, it's like three months, three solid months of Christmas. And let's be honest, there ain't that many great Christmas songs. And it kind of gets a little bit, by the time Christmas rolls around, and especially here in Mississippi because it's 80 degrees outside, and you got, you know, Santa there and his full get-up, it kind of loses some of its luster. Yes, yes, and it's. I think we've talked about this before a year or two ago. When's the last time we had a huge Christmas hit came out? Uh, another Christmas classic. You don't get them anymore. Every year we get Gene Autry. Every year we get the the same list of songs, and they're great. That's fine. But after fifty, sixty years, the bloom's kind of off the rose. Yeah. And to me, it almost says something that we don't have any new Christmas classics. And the first person that says Mariah Carey, we are going in the hall and we're calling the principal down. But that that was 20 years ago. Even that, yes. Maybe. No, that was more than that now. That was 30 years ago. Oh, wow. It's getting worse. That's like if you were in the 70s celebrating a song that came out in the 40s. I mean, think about it like that. <laughs> Somebody on the uh, ceasefire text line Bo in Indianola, what is Halloween celebrating? It's All Saints Eve. It's the Christmas Eve version of All Saints Day, the day to celebrate Christians who achieve spiritual maturity. Why? What did you think it's celebrating? Just just curious. That's literally, it's All Hallows Eve. That's where Halloween comes from. That's where it started anyway. Uh, Kurt from Columbus, the city of Biloxi, was putting up Christmas decorations last week. See, we're, I just think we're getting – well, yeah, and Dan in Hattiesburg said Christmas in July is a thing now. Yeah, Christmas in July is fine. That was supposed to be, you know, the halfway point between Christmases, between last Christmas and this coming Christmas. Right in the middle, Christmas in July, well, let's slide an extra celebration in there. Fine. No problem. The problem is the actual Christmas celebration for some places is starting before July. Which kind of makes Christmas in July redundant. 
just the way I see it. Can't beat the uh, Chipmunks Christmas songs. Yeah, they're great. They're 70, it's 80 years old. to be talking Christmas songs. I'm not talking about Christmas. I, 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 <laughs> as someone who has put together hours and hours of Christmas music, I can tell you that there's some classics, but there's a lot of duds out there. Yes. A lot. And the deeper you get into the list, the worse it becomes. It really does. So anyway, I'm I'm just curious what you think about it. Is it just us? Are we, as Amanda says down in Pike County, just a couple of bad bah humbugs? Well, you kind of get pushed in that direction when you start seeing Christmas. You know, we're just about to the point where they're just going to make an interchangeable date on the bottom of the Christmas signs at the stores and just go out with an El Marco and scratch through the two and write a three and leave it up. We're getting close to that area now. And it's a little boring. And again, we're going to blow right past the day we're supposed to take to give thanks. Oh, that's not necessary anymore. Let's skip right to opening the presents and putting the tree up. That is the problem I have with it. And I have yet to hear anybody address that or deal with it. Thanksgiving, it's right there in the name. Shouldn't we focus on that first and then get to Christmas? That's my feeling on it. And I welcome any debate about why we should not really pay much attention to Thanksgiving and should focus on Christmas instead. Notice I have said nothing about getting to eat or football or any of that. I'm talking about the purpose of the holiday. Don't care. We don't care. That, that's the impression that it gives me anyway. And it bothers me just a little bit. Thomas and Greenwood, how will inflation affect St. Nicholas? Well, he's down to three reindeer now. Can't afford the oats for the rest. Rudolph had to change from a halogen bulb to one of the little LEDs. And unfortunately, Santa is not able to afford a brake job for the sleigh this year, so you may see some slight structural damage if he comes in hot. There will be some effects, I have no doubt. Gene and Mendenhall, being a mailman, the post office has ruined Christmas for me. Oh, I can understand that. I, I, I see where you are living, my friend. I understand that perfectly. Makes sense. We will continue on Middays live in the Element Wealth Studios next. Keep it here. Today. Get a touring fan. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi Middays in the Element Wealth Studios Live. Dave Hughes with you. Mike from Wesson says Thanksgiving is now only considered Black Friday Eve. Uh, it's funny you should say that. 
you know, we went for a while where the stores were all open on Thanksgiving Day. They would open on Thanksgiving afternoon, uh, and, you know, some people would go shopping. The rest would stay at home and sit in the recliner. Uh, well, they've kind of reversed that now. The pandemic, of course, everybody closed for everything. They closed because it was a day that ended in Y, it seemed like. Uh, but they're sticking with it, and most of the stores, it looks like, are going to be closed on Thanksgiving Day. Big, long list. Yeah, that's not just the pandemic that caused that. It's also a worker shortage. Can't get people to work on Thanksgiving, so therefore we can't be open on Thanksgiving. Therefore, the marketing people came up with, hey, we're going to let our employees be with their families on Thanksgiving. Both of them. (laughs) Yes. That's basically it. You're right, because they're having trouble finding people to work on Tuesday, much less on Thanksgiving Day. Absolutely. So uh, everybody is going to be closed, it looks like. Not everybody, but close enough to count. When Walmart is on the list of stores that are saying they're going to be closed on Thanksgiving Day, that, that, that makes it pretty inclusive at that point. If Walmart is closing down, everybody's closing down for the most part. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, Thanksgiving Day ends at midnight, so they may open at 3 a.m. on Black Friday, as a lot of them do, or may open at midnight, I don't know. But on Thanksgiving Day itself, they will be closed. So a little bit of truth in what you're saying there, Mike, uh, functionally, anyway. Philip and Walthall County bringing the historical information to the show, a little injection of uh, history says, October 31st is Reformation Day. Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany, starting the Protestant Reformation in 1517. If you're not Catholic, this is the reason why. I will say this to Philip. If you didn't have to look any of that up, I feel inadequate now. That was an impressive little info mm-hmm. bullet you just fired off. Well done. Very nice. Um, we have uh, the the temperature this week and we were talking about it and joking about the fact that we're getting some nice football weather right before football and then it goes back up 20 degrees for friday we now have a group of scientists that have come out and declared that the people screaming about climate change need to shut up These are scientists. These are climate scientists. Researchers at the University of Colorado Boulder said that the people screaming about climate change and how we're all going to die are focusing on the absolute worst possible case scenarios in order to get attention. Said, yeah, we need to pay attention to it, but it's not nearly as bad as it's going to be. They equated it to looking at an upcoming hurricane season and assuming you were going to have 20 Category 5s all hit major metropolitan areas, so we must do something. It's no. They're focusing on the absolute worst-case scenario in order to get their way. Is anyone remotely surprised at this? No. You know, when I hear them talk about how much how terrible the weather's getting and everything. Like when we had Hank Burdine on yesterday talking about the um, the the way the Mississippi River has um, gone down, you notice that he said since like 1941. Well, did they have climate change in 1941? This can't be the worst since they it's, since it's 
Oh, that is the lowest since 1941. It's worse than that. You know why it's the lowest since 1941? We didn't start tracking it until 1941. That's as far back as the records go. But we're making all these decisions that impact our economy, impact our life, impact our technology, and everything else based on less than 100 years worth of data. And I want to tell you, you see, you're seeing politicians turn things like the hurricane that recently hit Florida into climate change, you know, action items. Uh, they're saying that this hurricane was made worse because of climate change. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but Florida's had a lot of hurricanes. Mississippi's had a lot of hurricanes hit it. And over the years, has it gotten worse? I don't know. But I can't say that it's because of climate change. Well, here's my question to that. And I've been doing this on the local show for a while. I have been tracking the Pike County high and low temperatures every day and seeing how often we set a record. It's been like twice in the last four months. And when I say twice, I mean two days. The rest of the time, records are still standing from 1980, from 1956. So where is all of this continuous nonstop you know, increase in everything, and we're all going down. Talking about the hurricanes, yes, we've had some bad ones. Ian was a bad one. Not going to lie. Not going to dance around that. But can anybody tell me that this hurricane season is worse than the one we had in 2005? Everybody remembers and focuses on Katrina, but if you recall, we had a bunch of other storms, a lot of storms that hit, and It was one of those cases, I believe that was the first year, where they ran out of names and had to go to the Greek alphabet, and we were still getting new storms forming in January of 2006. Mm. We haven't seen a season that active since 2005. So how's it getting worse again? Wait, didn't we have one like three years ago that was that bad, where we had to go to Zeta? It was close. We, yeah. we, had, we had to go to a couple of letters, but not as many letters as we did in 2005. But, again, if you buy into the hype from the climate change folks, well, it should be getting worse every year or at least getting bad and staying at that level for a while. We shouldn't have a spike of a bad year and then a couple of years where not much happens. When I was a kid, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember them saying in the mid to late 80s that it was going to be another ice age. Yes. That was the. I remember a Time magazine cover that said, "Preparing for the next ice age. It's here. It's going to happen." Yes. Yeah. Keep waiting. Whatever is going to get the money coming in. That's what's going to happen from moment to moment. We just don't have the data to back it up. They keep saying that we do. But I'm sorry, again, I have spent, you can ask people in Pike County, I've been tracking this most mornings for months now. Every morning I tell the previous day's high temperature from the National Weather Service and what the record was on that date. And we haven't been close but a very few days out of that four-month period. So I'm not seeing the evidence that, that shows me that the temperature is going up. This was a hot summer. It was hot. But with the exception of one week there where we had a a high-pressure system move through and it jacked the temperatures up and we broke some records, aside from that, wasn't the hottest summer we've ever had. It wasn't the hottest summer we've had in my lifetime. So where are these effects? 
How how has it taken us out? Do you remember? I know you'll remember this. Twenty thirty years ago, most of Florida is supposed to be underwater by now, based on what we were told, because the ice caps were going to melt, and as a result, the the sea levels were going to rise, and it was going to take in the shoreline of Florida and a lot of other places. Still waiting. And that's not to say that that stuff isn't happening over time, over a long period of time, but to say that, like AOC and some of the others have said, that in 10 years or 20 years or whatever time period they put on it, you know, mankind will not exist anymore because of the climate change that we have right now. And all that, you know what, let's say all that is true. What is the United States going to do about it? Because India and China are the two biggest polluters out there. Do, what are you going to do about them? Well, it kind of goes back to the whole problem we're having right now with the oil industry, where the Biden administration has shut everything down here, and now we're going begging. We're going trick-or-treating to OPEC, hoping they'll drop some lower prices in our bucket. In countries like Venezuela, you know. I'm sorry, cutting back our production and begging somebody else to keep theirs high in order to cover the difference is like being in a burning house and saying it's not my fault i put the matches down everything's fine no it doesn't work that way and we are not equipped we don't have the infrastructure we're not prepared to go to full electric in the next 10 years i don't care who says it i don't care how long they say it we're not ready for that will we get there yeah we're going to get there. By the way, look at the text line. Darren and Jackson sent in a picture of an article uh, talking about the cooling world from 1975. It's got a lovely graph. It shows the average temperature change yeah. and how it was going down, and the ice age was coming, and so forth and so on. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the whole electric car thing, I think eventually that will... We'll have more of those, but there's states like California have just put this unrealistic um, timeline on there that I don't think you, there's not enough charging stations. I mean, the infrastructure is just not there yet. Not, it's not to say you can't get there over time, but to put these unrealistic expectations in a you know ten year period or however long they put it, that's just crazy. It takes a lot of prior art to be built upon to get us to a technological advancement. Uh, until you figure out how to make the proper types of steel and the proper types of steam engines and everything else, you can't build a functional railroad. Other people have to figure out how to do that first. You can't railroad until it's time to railroad, and it's not time to railroad yet with electric vehicles. We still have a lot of prior art we've got to work out. We'll continue on Middays in the Element Wealth Studios next. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. article this image that Darren and Jackson texted in on the ceasefire text line here in the Element Well Studios during the break 
from April 28, 1975. I told you it was about the cooling world. Uh, scientists at that point said that the growing season had dropped by 2% in terms of its length, which was going to lead to a food shortage because the planet was cooling off too quickly. Said that less sunlight was reaching the ground, which meant that temperatures were cooler and it was interfering with the growing season and it was going to cause huge food shortages. And they were going by the data, they were going by the information they had. The temperature was going down, everything was going down. And somehow within 25 years, it turned around and everything was going up and we were all going to burn to death. So that's what you were talking about, Will, that I remember it, too, that at one point we were headed to an ice age. Now we're headed to becoming a a flaming center. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be in another 20 years, but every so often you have to shake it up when people stop believing the the current story. I I honestly believe the politicians on the left that are pushing this, they're doing that because it's a talking point that they can win on because they can always point to a hurricane or a tornado or a drought or something like that and say, you know what, it's climate change. I'm here to, to, to fix it for you. They're not. Yeah, no, it, it's it's all about power and money, period. And I'm sorry, pointing at any natural disaster that happens and saying it's part of climate change is trying to weaponize confirmation bias is all it's doing. Because I'm sorry, nobody was talking about climate change in the 60s when Hurricane Camille came through Mississippi and messed up everything. It was a horrific storm. It was a much smaller storm, but extremely powerful, and for the longest time held the record as the most powerful hurricane to ever hit America. That was in the 60s. It wasn't climate change that did that. Sometimes bad stuff happens. I know, I just shocked some folks. But that's the way the world works. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes really bad things happen. And if that's all you focus on and try to twist it and turn it and use it for your own means in order to bolster your power base and your bank account, well, you lose sight of the fact that sometimes good things happen. Sometimes really good things happen. But we ignore that because there's no money in good news. It's what you said yesterday. If it bleeds, it leads. If it's not bad, it's not worth talking about, because that's where the power and the money reside every time. Sam from Mount Hermon on the C Spire text line. Dave, with any success comes many failures. When it comes to electric cars and the infrastructure, there will be many failures before they get it right. Exactly. That's the way it works. You can't railroad until it's time to railroad, until you have blown through 10 different designs for the best track and the best engine and the best car and the best suspension and the best everything. All of that work has to be done before you can put it together and have an actual railroad. We're not done with all that other work yet. Yeah. We've got to develop better battery technology, better charging technology. We've got to develop a lot of different things that are pretty basic to the concept of an electric vehicle before it's going to be ready to take over and replace... You know, petroleum-based vehicles. It, it's it's just going to take time. Will it happen? Yes. Will it happen in ten years? No. Not not as the new standard. I don't care if they try to force it. It's still not going to happen. You're just going to have people that are going to be driving fifty-year-old cars uh, because, well, there aren't any more available to buy with a gas engine. But well, the electric ones kind of like Cuba. You know, you have those old cars. You just have to keep them up. 
<laughs> yes. You know, California's just gone so crazy with these restrictions on after this year you can't sell that anymore. Um, even like uh, two-stroke small engines, they're getting rid of They're saying that you can't sell that. So think about a guy who has a landscaping business who has, you know, 40 yards he has to take care of in a given week or 100 yards he has to take care of in a a given week. Now he's going to have to rely on battery technology, whereas before he could rely on, you know, that old steel, whatever it may be, um, uh, weed eater to go out there and and work for him that works throughout the day. You just got to put a little gas, you know, oil and gas in it. Yeah, I just don't see how that's possible yet. I'm not saying you can't get there, and the technology has improved incredibly over the years, but it still ain't there. I, I, I'll give you an example. I went to my uh, wife's granddad's place this weekend, and we we mowed and weed eated and all that kind of stuff. And I took my little battery operated down the thing down there. It, you know, after about an hour, you were done. We get we got to go get a, a gas powered one. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you something. Here's a little hint. Go look this up. All this talk of supply chain crisis and all the problems. Go look at what went into effect in January in California. If you have an 18-wheeler that's older than, I think, 20 years, it's no longer allowed to operate in the state. So who has replaced all of those 18-wheelers and truckers going in and out? Go look it up. Seriously. Coming up after news from Fox and Super Talk Mississippi News, Lucian Smith joins me. That's next on Middays. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Super Talk Mississippi Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios on a Tuesday. Dave Hughes here, of course, Gerard on the road tomorrow at the Tupelo Furniture Market with Middays. Uh, the 20th anniversary of Celebration Village going on. Uh, they're, they're everything. If you're looking for something, they're going to have it there. I can guarantee you that, and he'll be telling you all about it tomorrow during this time. On the ceasefire text line, Mose, Dave, and speaking to what you were talking about, Will, Dave, there's a reason why our grandparents didn't have grass in their yards. They didn't have the equipment to cut it, and we could end up back that way. I'd be fine. I'm, I'm would that be a, cutting it anyway. Yeah, so. would that be a bad thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd spend a lot, le- a lot less money, I can tell you that. Well, my parents, and this was years ago, kind of took the middle ground. They went and seeded the front yard with centipede grass. It, it grows, but not very thick. And when you've left it alone for a couple of months, it's like two, three inches tall. You know, not much, now it gets thick. It gets hard to cut, but it, it doesn't shoot up, and you don't have that behalia grass with the big V at the top with the little black things that get all over your pants legs growing up in it. Uh, so that helps because it kind of smothers everything out. But there are options. I have wondered, I have pondered it before, and you know there is a big movement going on right now 
and they're angling it in such a way that the liberals can't argue with it, uh, saying that they are creating a biodiverse microenvironment on their property in order to allow uh, nature to flourish. Translation, they ain't cutting their grass. That's basically all it is. They're not mowing the yard. Not sure I see where that's a bad thing at this point. The whole mowing the grass thing, it's, and there are some other things that go into it that make it a good idea if you've got grass in your yard to cut it, but a lot of it's just for appearances. That's kind of where we wound up. So... Yeah, I think you might have a point there, uh, Mose, and we might be headed back in that direction. Of course, if you believe the liberals, uh, thanks to climate change, all the grass is going to die anyway, and you'll be right behind it, so you won't have time to worry about your yard. Yeah, please remember that and give. That That's the basic attitude. Joining us here in studio now, uh, the man former head of the Mississippi GOP, uh, a darn... Let's fine him $5 for being late, though. I want to point that out, Lucian. That is totally unacceptable. I, I agree with you. I agree. I did call and apologize in advance, but this you is did. You totally did. not okay. So. Now, let me just step in here on behalf of my buddy, Lucian. It's his first time. He he, he gets... Yeah, he's he, never sat in this chair before. I almost made him spit water. It's been a good day. We can go home now. Let me tell you what man. Lucian did one time. He went to a concert the night before he filled in for Paul Gallo. That's true. And so say, you're insane. It, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Yes. Perez uh, and Will both reminded me that it was a bad decision, and uh, they were right. My wife and I were together, and she kept saying, "Don't you think we ought to go home? You've got to get up at three. And I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, but we hadn't seen this, and they hadn't seen this guy in a long time. Let's stay." And we we stuck it out. Had a great time. It was a great time. Three o'clock was not a great time. No, but, no. You, know, you you went home and took an hour long nap, and then got up and came down here. That is exactly yeah, right. Yeah. This basically your sell by date when you're doing the morning show is about seven o'clock the night before. I, I can go to about eight, but anytime after that, I'm gonna I'm not gonna feel good. Uh, yeah. But I do hate to be late because having uh, having set in before hosting, there's it's that terrible feeling where you know you you spend a bunch of time, and I know you do this, Dave. You spend a bunch of time in advance. You think, okay, during the the first segment of the 11 o'clock hour, I got so-and-so in. We're going to talk to him. And then when we get to this hour, this is the things I'm going to talk about. And then all of a sudden, the the commercial starts ending, and the bumper comes on, and you go, well, I was planning to talk to somebody during the next 20 minutes, but they're not here. So let me quickly go through these notes and think about the things I wanted to talk about. Play well, Freebirds! Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that that's where the ceasefire text line comes in. That's handy. a very good point. Because they can just feed you stuff, with, and, and you can kill time until Lucian remembers he's supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, everything been going good for you? It's been going great. You know, we can uh, we can brush our teeth with the water again in Jackson. You can, you for can now. flush your toilets for now. So, you know, by, depending on on uh, how you judge things, it's going pretty well. Yeah, well, and the for now part is the worrying part of the problem. Absolutely. Because with all of that, you think we would reach that point to where the the National Guard has to get involved to fix your water system. You think at that point everybody is going to be on the same page in terms of let's get this handled and... If anything, Lucian, it looks like it's worse than it was before that. You, you, you hate to see that sort of fighting, and, and the, the politicians who get it, and I think Tate Reeves is absolutely one of the ones who do, 
there is a time for politics. There is absolutely a time to say this guy did this wrong. This guy should be doing this. Uh, you know, ha- however, whatever the criticisms you want to throw at people are, a crisis is not that time. And, and I remember, uh, as I'm sure you do, after Hurricane Sandy, this has been some time ago. Barack Obama was still president. Uh, Chris Christie, uh, who is far from some big uh, Barack Obama fan, was the governor of New Jersey, uh, and he came down. He didn't speak ill of Barack Obama. He worked with Barack Obama. There was that famous photo that in a lot of ways I think tanked Christie's political ambitions where he's got his arm around him like they're hugging. Um, and that's how you have that's how you need to do it during a crisis because whether, you know, I, I'm about as ideologically conservative and partisan of a Republican as you can find out there, but I, I want everybody working together, especially during a crisis, to solve problems. And knowing Governor Reeves, the fact that he felt like he had to put that statement out, I would assume, uh, means he, he thought there was a real concern that Jackson was not going to meaningfully participate in this effort to get a permanent operator in there, and he felt like he he had to say something. But that, but that I mean, we, we have to solve this problem for the city and for the state. If you don't know what he's talking about with the statement, uh, yesterday, right around noon, uh, Governor Reeves put out a, a statement and a big, long Facebook post with it as well. And it starts off, the very first sentence, okay, says, and I'm reading here, quote, We have been told by city officials that the mayor of Jackson is planning to functionally end the city's cooperation with the unified command structure, the team that has been keeping Jackson water stable, by refusing to participate in the process of selecting a water operator alongside state and so basically what Governor Reeves is saying is here goes the mayor of Jackson again right that's exactly what he's saying and keep in mind this unified command structure that's been set up you know first of all I think the governor deserves an immense amount of credit for getting involved in this it would have been very easy for the governor to say that's not my problem that that's something that cities run water systems the state regulates them I don't want my officials getting involved in this problem. But he intervened, and he took a political risk there, and that is what you want from your leaders is somebody who's willing to say, you know what, this may not work out well for me, but I have a duty. I am the chief executive officer of the state. I cannot allow 200,000 people in central Mississippi to worry about whether they're going to be able to brush their teeth with their water or flush their toilets or be able to put a glass of water on the table for their kids. And so he intervened here. But when you look at that unified command structure, the governor actually has relatively little control over it. MEMA, uh, which is an executive agency, is involved, uh, but their role in this procurement, as I appreciate it, was just being the voice of the the command structure. You've got the health department, uh, and having been uh, Governor Bryant's chief of staff, I can tell you uh, those boards and commissions, they work for you until they don't want to. Uh, And so that is a completely independent board. Now, they do work closely with the governor's office, but the world in which Tate Reeves can pick up the phone and say, Board of Health, you're going to go hire Lucian Smith's water operating company, (laughs) that that ain't going to happen. No. And the EPA is involved, which, again, the governor has no control over. That's Joe Biden's uh, uh, administration controlling that. And so it's unclear to me what's going on unless the the mayor wants to pick who this operator is, because the city of Jackson is a part of the unified command structure. And again, my understanding from uh, only what's available publicly is that the city of Jackson was able to weigh in on the technical specifications that was in the RFP that was put out. This is going to come off as spin, but I think it's an accurate statement, and I want you to check me on this. What I'm getting from all of this that I've been watching for the last few weeks, and especially the last day or two, 
the mayor of Jackson doesn't want the health department and the Biden administration involved in helping him. It doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't make any sense. I cannot wait to hear the argument for why you don't want the health department involved with the water system. It's like, you know, this is the time you ask for help. And it's one of the things, and I think uh, I've certainly been guilty of it. I think younger people tend to be more guilty of it than people who have more professional and life experience you, you know you, you get and i see it a lot of times with young people who work for me or people i've worked with who are younger you're afraid to ask for help because people will say well he's weak she's weak because she's asking for help you know you get to my age you realize the people who say hey i need some help with this tend to be the smartest most mature best operators and i just don't think that's what we got in the mayor's office right now in jackson well, i think you're right lucian smith in the studio with us we'll continue with him assuming you can stick around oh absolutely well you absolutely. may already be late for your next thing so i just thought i would ask just out of politeness We'll continue here on Middays in the Element Wealth Studios next. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Middays, on a Tuesday morning, live in the Element Well Studios. Dave Hughes in studio with me, uh, Lucian Smith. Uh, it took two fill-ins today. <laughs> Too big of a job for one. There we go. Have somebody on the ceasefire text line that asked, uh, Mose asked, uh, does Richard's Disposal also know how to run a water system? <laughs> I, why not, you know? But but it does. It reminds you of the trash thing. And for people who aren't familiar with Jackson's trash situation, and, and let me say this by way of background. I was born in Jackson. I still live in Jackson. My business is in Jackson. I think people who don't live here have every right to be critical of decisions that are made here, so I'm not suggesting that. But know this. This is personal to me because it's the water that comes out of my taps. It's the trash that should be, you know, but sometimes isn't picked up at the end of my street. This is is personal. But it does remind you of that. You know, for people who aren't familiar, the mayor uh, got in a fight with the city council uh, because the mayor felt very strong that Richard's disposal should take over for the incumbent uh, trash uh, company in the city of Jackson. The council overwhelmingly opposed him. The council is overwhelmingly Democrat. So this is not a there was there wasn't a Republican trash company that wanted to keep control and a Democratic trash company trying to keep it come in. There was a trash company that had been doing a good job, and the mayor was insistent. Uh, for reasons that still are not clear to me, that it had to be changed to this other company. And, you know, my view as somebody who's been in government, has been in business, if you, if, if something is working, 
you ought not fix it. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to improve on things that are already there, but the one city service, and that you really can't say this about much else in the city of Jackson when it comes to city services, the one city service that was reliable was the trash service. Monday and Thursday, you put your trash out, or my neighborhood was Monday and Thursday. They had other trash days for other neighborhoods, but the days you were supposed to put your trash at the end of the street, they would show up and get it. For the first couple of months after this switchover, while there was still this massive fight that is still ongoing, it's going up to the Mississippi Supreme Court, there were neighborhoods that weren't getting their trash picked up. Now, that's improved somewhat. I've heard some people say they like the new service better because they'll pick up bigger stuff than the old one would. But regardless, we, we took a risk there that didn't seem necessary, and it all seemed to feel like uh, that it was because the mayor wanted to pick who the winner was. And so you do start to get a little bit of the sense of that from the press releases uh, that, that came out yesterday from the mayor and the governor, that it was a similar deal where he didn't want uh, the health department and the EPA helping choose who this person was. He wanted to be uh, the one who, who picked. And I hope I'm wrong, Dave. I, I would be I would be tickled uh, to discover that I was completely wrong. Uh, but that's certainly, given the context with the trash, uh, it feels like we're in a similar situation. It feels like, and I'm I'm crawling all the way out on the end of the shaky limb. Feels like good old boy politics to me. It it, it does. It does. It, it, it feels smacks like of it. Wanting to make sure one of your people get there. I mean, I, I again don't don't know that that's the case, right. but I, I do think. Um, we, we've got to have a permanent fix to the city of Jackson's water, and, and that sort of fighting, that sort of you know who's in control stuff is just is not helpful because I, I think overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, and keep in mind the the city of Jackson. We talk about it as though it's just the city of Jackson. It is more than the city of Jackson. It's parts of unincorporated Hines County. It's Byram. It's people who have no actual uh, voice currently in the governance uh, of the system who are who are being. Uh, affected by it, but we cannot allow a, a huge part of our state, or frankly, even a small part of our state, to go without water. And, and that's something, you know, as a conservative, I, I think government does too much. Government's in too many areas. Government has too many programs, too many projects, things that really aren't core functions of government. Providing safe, reliable drinking water is a core function of government. That's a basic. That's it, the basics. And has been on and off, I mean, at least since the the Republican times in Rome. I mean, this is not something that we cooked up in the early part of the 20th century, making sure people are able to get water that doesn't give them dysentery, making sure they're able to have uh, flushing toilets. That is a basic assumption in the United States of America. And I'll say, as a Mississippian, as a Jacksonian, I am offended that we're even, ha- even having to have this conversation because it's for a couple of reasons. One, one, it's a huge humanitarian issue for the people who live in this city. I am fortunate enough that I can pay, uh, I, won't, I won't give a free advertisement here, but I can pay a private company to bring me five-gallon bottles of water so my kids can drink water that doesn't have lead uh, or other bad things in it. Not everybody is in a position to pay that kind of money in the city of Jackson. Not everybody in the state would be in a position to pay that kind of money. We're fortunate that we can pay 100 bucks a month to get good, clean water brought to our house. But the other problem is this is our image not just nationally, but internationally. I I got a call from a journalist from Strasbourg, France, who wanted to talk about Jackson's water crisis. And and you know this, Dave. Mississippi is a wonderful place. I I love Mississippi. I am so glad this is where I am. I am so glad this is where I'm raising a family. Um, 
but but most people's interaction with Mississippi is going to be what they see on the news. And when they're talking about how the capital city here cannot flush its toilets, that's the way most people are going to think about Jackson. And it's why I do think it's appropriate that there be some sort of state intervention. And I, I've heard from conservatives who say, well, why is it our job to bail out the city of Jackson? And I would point out, first of all, the state often intervenes when there's a crisis. The, the state doesn't say, well, that's your fault for building homes where tornadoes could come through. That's your fault for building homes and low-lying areas that are affected by flooding. Now, is this a crisis that's uh, principally caused by the weather? No. Uh, There there certainly was a weather element, it sounds like, that exacerbated this problem. A lot of it is man-made. But the state has routinely come in, as they did on the coast after Katrina, as they did in DeSoto County, and used a combination of state and federal money to help build these systems up. And so I I think it is perfectly appropriate uh, and honestly needed that the state have that kind of intervention to make sure this never happens again. Uh, in the city of Jackson. Well, and the problem is the the difficulties that we're seeing with the water system in Jackson right now are equivalent to a crisis, like you said, from a tornado. But a tornado lasts a few minutes and goes away. The tornado is still swirling in the office over at the, at the mayor's office right now. That's right. That's right. And, that's and, what it looks like to me. No, I think that's right. And I, there, are, the problems, from what I can tell, are they're the short term problems and they're the long term problems. These uh, the, the the issue of lead leaching into pipes. You know that was discovered six years ago, or at least that was publicly announced six years ago. That's not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. But the most recent problem that you had at Ob Curtis does appear to be the result, and this has been reported. It's been stated, as I appreciate it, by the EPA. It's been reported in several papers that are hardly Republican mouthpieces uh, that the city seemed to be making no effort to hire operators. So it, it, to put it in a simplistic way, it'd be like uh, getting a new car uh, and then not changing the oil for 10 years and being surprised that eventually the engine burned up. So that that appears to be what happened uh, with this most recent crisis. And so we need to look at what kind of money can be put into to remediating it. But then we also need to have a serious conversation about what is the right governance structure uh, for the uh, for the system out there and I think that I'm, I'm optimistic we'll get there now having said that and I know you've heard about this could you keep up with this stuff like I do better than I do probably we now have two congressional committees that are investigating this and uh, representative Benny Thompson <clears throat> is blaming Governor Reeves for all of this. He's blocking funding from getting to Jackson. He is blocking any help whatsoever for the city of Jackson. The the guy that signed off and sent the National Guard in and fixed in less than a week a problem that had been going on for years is obviously the difficulty here, according to some people in Washington. Have we all gone insane, Lucian? It, it, it is crazy. It, you know, it is a, to my view, it's a partisan attempt to divert blame, and it's a partisan attempt to hurt uh, the Republican governor the year before he's up for reelection. Because the, the basic fact is this: if you flushed a toilet today in Jackson, if you brushed your teeth in Jackson, it is because Tate Reeves intervened and allowed and caused that water plant to operate properly. That is 100% the result of the governor's intervention. And like we talked about earlier, it would have been easier for him to just say, this isn't my problem, the city can figure it out. But he didn't. And as a result, people are not suffering in the way that they were at the worst part of that crisis. And so, you know, I hope that this investigation will continue once the Republicans take over. I hope we have a 
comprehensive uh, report uh, at some point that explains how we got to this point. But to my mind, I'm a lot less interested in who's at fault than I am how do we make sure this is never a conversation that we're having again in this state about people uh, who are unable to get clean, reliable, affordable uh, drinking water. Uh, and to my mind, that's, I hope that's what comes out of it is that this conversation uh, at some point uh, stops because it's been fixed in a definitive, permanent way. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, though. Politics has gotten so in the middle of this, and it is a basic necessity, as you said. It's a basic function of the government. I would almost equate it with roads, but it's more important than roads. It ranks higher on the list. This is what we're going to have a shoving match on the playground about. Really? And you, you see so often folks saying, if we don't do this, if we don't do this, people will die. This is one of the times where it's true. If you don't have clean drinking water, literally, people will die. The first time I saw somebody online make the suggestion, remember, if you're in Jackson, shower with your mouth closed, I almost passed out. <laughs> I laughed so hard, but it was true. I've never been so conscious, though, of how long I keep my mouth open in the shower until this crisis. Can you stick around a little yeah, bit more? absolutely. Yeah, well, you still owe me a few minutes from the beginning, <laughs> so it's only fair. Lucian Smith will continue here on Middays, live in the Element Well studios next. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Sure, if Will accidentally ever turns on the microphone during the breaks while Lucian is here, well, we're going to be in meetings the rest of the day. That's <laughs> the way it works. Lucian Smith with us here in the Element Well Studios on middays. What, what's, what's the end game here? What's the solution? How do we get through this and get to a point to where we don't have to, as you said, don't have to keep talking about, well, is the water going to be good today? For the capital city of the state, how do we get to that point? You know, and this is my personal view only, um, I think there has to be a different governance structure, and I think we need to bring together the various stakeholders uh, who who care and are affected by the function of that system. The state is a major consumer of water uh, from the city of Jackson's water system. Uh, there are people, and I'll give you an example of the way some people in unincorporated Hines County are affected by it. You know, under the law, the Public Service Commission doesn't regulate municipal rates. They don't regulate municipal rates for the mile out, the first mile outside of the city. And so for a mile outside of a municipal system, the rates are totally unregulated. Then the PSC comes in. And so my understanding, and, and David Blunt, with whom I disagree politically a great deal, but who I do think has been really working hard on um, on trying to solve this problem, has pointed this out specifically, that during, in that mile, the rates are dramatically higher than they are if you're in the city of Jackson or if you're outside of the mile, because that that's a stretch of 
territory where people can't vote out the people who set the rates, but they're also under the law. Those rates aren't regulated, so you can charge whatever you want. So bring together those stakeholders. I think representatives from uh, the federal government ought to be part of this conversation. And let's come up with a permanent governance model uh, that makes sense, that has some guarantees that the water is going to be affordable, uh, That that but, but put in a new structure. And then you're going to have to couple that uh, with some financial backing, because it, it, the problems in Jackson, which in fairness, and I've been very critical of our mayor because I, I, I don't think he has done a great job as mayor, uh, but not every problem with our water system is the fault of the current mayor. Um, some of these problems go back uh, decades, maybe, maybe half a century uh, of not uh, not reinvesting in the way that we, we should have in the system. And so it is going to take uh, a big infusion of capital. But I think that you have to have those two things uh, at the same time. You need to have a new governance structure and you need to have uh, an infusion of cash to get it headed in the right direction. And I, I certainly hope that's where uh, that's where we end up because the people of Mississippi deserve to know their capital city uh, is functioning and the people of the capital city uh, deserve to know that when they turn their tap on, there's going to be water that's going to come out uh, 100% of the time, and it's going to be water that uh, isn't going to be subject to 300 bold water notices over the course of two years, which is what we've got right now. You know, you said something in the middle of that I want to, I want to call out and focus on for a second, because we have completely lost this ability, and we've talked about it before. Uh, you mentioned David Blunt, and, and, you know, we've had our disagreements. I know you and he have had disagreements, but as a person, I like him. Yeah, I think he's a good person. Uh, and as you said, he has worked hard on this. And you, the way you phrased it was, we disagree politically. We have lost the, the distinction there. We have lost the ability to recognize that as a modifier. We have somehow managed to work ourselves around to where, well, we disagree politically, so we just disagree, period, right. in everything, in all ways. That's not productive. That's not the way we get through a situation like this. Like you said, in a time of crisis... I don't care who shows up to help. I don't care who walks up with a bucket full of water when my house is on fire. That's exactly right. That's And that's a perfect analogy. If your house is on fire and a Democrat walks up, you're not going to go, no, 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 this is a Republican house. I need you to stay over there. You're going to go, thank you for coming and helping me. And vice versa, if your Democratic neighbor's house is on fire, you're not going to go, well, I'm going to let his house burn down because he's a Democrat. You're going to go over with the water and try to help him. And, and I do think you're absolutely right. One of the problems we have in our culture, and, and I, I will say this, is having been chairman of the Republican Party in Mississippi, I've... I've been part of the problem at times because the parties, I do think, perpetuate this. There's this tendency to uh, view our political opponents as our enemies. And, you know, yes, are there are there are there times where there are people who aren't good people who are involved in public life? Yes. But but that is that is not the norm. Most people uh, are in politics because they want to do the right thing. They may have, as I think the Democrats do, the wrong way to do the right thing. Um, but I, I do think we have this tendency to view the other side as this sort of constant uh, enemy, not just political opponent. Uh, and we need to recognize that, that folks are our neighbors. We need to work. Uh, we need to find ways without compromising our own principles to work together. And these sorts of crises, to me, are a perfect example of it. Everybody needs to be at the table when decisions are made, um, but we need to come up with something that, that works in a more permanent uh, way for the, for the water system here. My youngest son is now 22. Uh, I, I did a lot of time wearing a coach's T-shirt for Dixie Youth Baseball. You get out there, you fight, you fuss at them, you tell them we got to take them down, we got to win, we got to beat them. We, we are a better team than them, we've got to win. And then at the end of the game, win or lose, what do you do? You line them up and you go shake hands exactly. with the other team and say, good game, good game, good game. 
we don't have a Dixie youth level of sportsmanship at the at the leadership level in Jackson. Well, I, I was trying to win. Well, it's not working out. Good game. No, no, we can't, we can't do that. Right. And we're, we're talking about basics that we teach to five-year-olds. That, that's the level we're trying to get to. That's what's so aggravating that's about right. this. And there, there's no such thing as Republican or Democratic clean water. It's just water. Can you, can you drink the water or can you not? Can you rely on it to come out of the tap or can you not? And, and I, 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 you know, I, it's just a, it's a massive challenge and it's a massive failure. Uh, but hopefully something good comes out of it. Well, I will say this. Republican water, you don't have to boil. So I may have to disagree <laughs> with you a little bit there. I, I may have some proof to back that up. Uh, th- this is not, and I think this is the other frustrating part about this, it's not going to be solved quickly, even though we saw what can happen when everybody just shuts up, takes their ego, and puts it back in the little box and closes the lid. The problem that had been going on forever when Obi Curtis went down, it, it was what, a week at the most? It, was, it took about a week after the governor intervened uh, before you started having water running again, and I think it was another two weeks before you had water that, that was drinkable. Yeah. Um, now, there's still the lead leaching issues, uh, but the water uh, the water in the main was drinkable. You could uh, you could brush your teeth with it. You could leave your mouth open in the shower. You know, the, the little things you don't think about in the United States of America until something like that uh, comes around. I mean, I, I have not... I, I, I mean, we literally kept bottles of water next to the sink for brushing our teeth uh, during that period. Although I had some friends later who told me they didn't do it and they never got sick. But you know, we got young kids; we weren't going to take the risk. But um, but hopefully, hopefully, we get to a good place on this. I think we have to uh, because it, because you cannot allow your capital city, you can't allow your citizens anywhere in the state uh, to have to be unable to get uh, reliable, clean uh, drinking water uh, at, at a price that people can afford. And I, I'm hopeful that's where we'll end up. We do not want to find ourselves in a situation where we have humanitarian relief coming in from outside the state to bring clean water to the residents of Jackson. And that's the direction we've been headed in for a while. Well, and I've, I talk to people who say, you know, why should the people, I won't pick specific areas, but why, why, why should people who are uh, hundreds of miles away from Jackson but who live inside the state, why, why should their tax dollars directly or indirectly uh, go, to, go to the city? And the two things I would point out is, first of all, that happens routinely. There are lots of state programs where people are taxed, you know, all of us are taxed across this state, and they go to where specific needs are. They go to help after natural disasters. They go to help uh, after man-made crises, because that's part of the function of state government. But the other reason is we want more and better jobs coming to Mississippi. And the days where uh, the business, uh, you know, the the people deciding where new business went, you know, that was in Memphis or Birmingham, you know, for the the large part, that's no longer the case. It's somebody sitting in New York or San Francisco or Berlin or Paris, and they're not going to say, well, you know, Boonville's got a great school system. They're not going to say Petal's a really nice place to live or, you know, the the lower three in Mississippi is just a beautiful place uh, to live your life. They're going to go, oh, that uh, Mississippi, that's the place where they can't flush their toilets, and they're going to take our proposal that MDA has sent them, they're going to throw it in the trash, and they're going to wonder what the folks in Hoover, Alabama have to offer. And so if we want to see more jobs here, if we want to see better jobs here, if we want to continue the growth that has happened uh, over the course of the last 10 years, this is one of the problems that we absolutely have to fix because it is an image killer for the state. In addition to the humanitarian problems, it is a image killer for the state that is going to make it 
it more difficult for Mississippi to continue to grow and prosper. And that is the reason. Even if you live 150 miles away, never plan to come to the city of Jackson, wonder why it's your problem. It's because if we don't solve that problem, it is going to be more difficult to bring business to your community, to bring jobs to your community, uh, and to keep seeing the state improve. And that's why it's so crucial that I think we see a massive intervention from the state here. And the jobs, the new business leads to new uh, tax, leads to more revenue for the state, which leads to more money to be able to do these things and to fix the roads and the bridges and everything else. It's a domino effect. That's right. And it starts with that image. Perception, I talk about this all the time, perception is everything. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize just how important it is. If you don't have curb appeal... Nobody's buying the house. That's exactly right. And this is a perfect example of curb appeal that can be fixed where where we've got to fix it. Yeah. uh, We just have to get everybody to quit squawking at each other like a bunch of chickens. (laughs) Here's hoping. You're welcome to stick around if you want to, but I figure you're going to lunch or something. I don't know. It's up to you. Well, I'll uh, I'll stick around. Okay. Fantastic. Lucian Smith, we can't get rid of him on middays (laughs) in the Element Well Studios. He's back with us next. Keep it here. With Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Middays live at the Element Well Studios. Lucian and I were talking during the break. Lucian Smith with us, former chair of the Mississippi GOP, and uh I think we've beaten the water into the ground, which is where it was supposed to be to begin with, so I think that's only fair. But if you've missed it, you can go back and pick it up on the archives or podcast or, you know, we're on supertalk.fm. Spoken so. like a true veteran right there. I don't even have a live read sheet in front of me. I'm proud of myself. I just need to hand this over to you, man. That was perfect. Wow. He is now assaulted veteran, Will. This is awesome. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going for lunch. I'm just going to leave Lucian here. Uh, uh, now, you and I were talking during the break. Is one other thing, as the former head of the Mississippi GOP, we were talking during the break, and I brought this up before, and I want to get your take on this. We have reached a point to where it seems like we're not fighting to win, we're just fighting to fight, because if you have somebody, and th- this came up because, where was it, Malaysia, their house, and they have a whole different set of problems, don't get me wrong, but just... The fact of what they did was amazing to me. They just passed a law where if anyone swaps party, they're immediately kicked out of office. Huh. Yeah. That, that is a thing that they put in. Uh, it's passed. It's done. It passed by an overwhelming majority in both houses of their government. We don't seem to be willing to welcome somebody that changes their mind. Uh so if we're not trying to change people to our way of thinking and when they make that change and decide, you know what, you were right, 
welcome them with open arms. What are we fighting over? What are we fighting about? Well, and I think so much of it now on both sides, it's about protecting yourself from a primary challenge um, because there's so few districts, Republican or Democrat. You know, when the you, you'll see people be critical of states that are run by Republicans, and they'll say, "Well, there are no there are no competitive districts here." Well, I got news for you. Go go to California. Take take a look at how many competitive districts there are over there. I mean, some of it's a natural function of what the dominant ideological view in a place is, but there's so few districts where somebody's got a real risk of getting beaten by somebody in the other party that their primary uh, focus does tend to be making sure that they're safe in the primary election. And, and, you know, as a conservative, I want the most conservative Republicans we can possibly elect. Um, But we also have to be realistic about, you know, who we can elect in certain states. We're never going to get a ultra-conservative elected in Maine. No. You know, so we got to accept uh, the sort of moderate Republicans uh, that they elect. And, And to your point, yeah, you know, our goal ought to be to convince other people to vote with us, to believe what we believe. Um, but it involves talking to them in a different way. You know, if we if we constantly talk about the other side as though they are evil, well, why is anybody ever going to listen to you? You know, if somebody opened it up by saying, you know, Lucian, we think you're basically a Nazi because you're a Republican. I'm not super interested in a five, ten minute dialogue after there about their ideological views. Uh, I'm certainly not going to come to that very open minded. And so we've got to be cautious that as we talk to folks on the other side that we don't we don't do that thing. And, and again, like we were talking about before, we do need to recognize and the the, the party structure certainly has not been helpful uh, in this way, and I've certainly been guilty of not doing this. But we do need to find a way to recognize that the people who disagree with us are not evil people. That they, they are wrong. Not to say there aren't evil people out there, but they, they, in the main, they are uh, wrong about where they want to go uh, or how they want to get there, but they're probably right about what their goals are. Most people who are in public life, they want kids to have a good education. They want streets to be safe. They want uh, uh, people to have good jobs that are that are improving. Uh, now, you know, I, I deeply disagree with the folks on the left who think that the way to get there is with more sort of socialized control of the economy and bigger government. Um, but I, I think we do need to do a better job of recognizing that folks on the other side aren't our permanent enemy and treating them that way. Well, and I said this during the break, and I'm, I'm standing by this opinion. Politics is not at its base level, at its most basic function. It is not about politics. It's not about the issues. It's about who's the better evangelist. Who can win more people over to accepting your truth that you're preaching to them? We have to be better evangelists, which means leading more of the flock into our arena, into our way of thinking. I don't think we're doing that right now. Not as well as we could. Not, not, I don't think the elected leadership is doing that as well as we could. I do think that would be uh, an improvement. Uh, I'll say it's one thing I really like about Super Talk. It's, uh, you know, I, I, obviously this isn't a, a super left-leaning outfit, but I, I think Supertalk does a very good job of trying to bring, bring people in with a diversity of opinions to listen to both sides. And I get one thing I get frustrated with with a lot of uh, what you see on the television news, not the not Supertalk's TV channel, um, 
available on C Spire TV. I think on channel 73. <laughs> I but, was wondering if you were going to go for it. <laughs> right there. But, Boom. It's right there, baby. But, but you know, so much of it is just rage porn. It's just, yes. you know, I, I want to listen to somebody tell me how horrible the other side is, and I can turn my TV on and for 30 minutes sit there and, and listen to it. And so I, I, n- none of us are perfect, but I, I do think the more we can do to try to uh, foster a dialogue, the better. And I think you and, and everybody here does a good job of that. Well, all we can do is wake up sometimes at ridiculous hours after a concert the night before and come in and do what we do and say what we think. That's all you can do, as you well exactly know. Right. You've been doing a great job filling oh, in. Oh, you're man. kind. I, I enjoy it. So I, I think I'm filling in next week one day. So oh, there you go. Looking See? forward to it. See? Don't have a concert the night before. This was a warm-up. <laughs> That's do, right. This was doing your stretches. You're ready to go now. Lucian Smith, always great to talk to you. Uh, you too, Dave. Coming up after the news, we are going to talk to Don McVeigh about small business. Keep it here. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like listening. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi, live in the Element Well Studios, Dave Hughes in on this Tuesday, and joining me now, both on the air and on Super Talk TV, we have with us the Mississippi and Louisiana director of the National Federation of Independent Small Business. Haven't talked to her in forever. Dawn McVeigh joins us. Dawn, how are you today? Doing well, enjoying the cool temperatures here in Baton Rouge. Yeah, they're not going to last. By by the way, you might want to take the opportunity while you can. Apparently, you can go out and just walk across the Mississippi Riverbed right now in Baton Rouge. It's down to almost nothing, I think. It's crazy, crazy low, which is concerning for uh, we have enough problems with supply chain and commerce going on around the country. We don't need the river slowing things down but yeah it is very interesting to see some pictures especially in lower lying areas uh just north of here it's crazy really well see. and that that is the reason why i mentioned that because supply chain issues have been a discussion for a couple of years now and uh, it feels like anyway uh and it, that has an oversized impact on small businesses and now with the problems with the level of water in the mississippi river impacting it even more uh, what, what's the buzz you're hearing in regards to the current supply chain problems? Are there do, do those problems still exist? Is there any worry that they're going to get worse amongst the members of your organization? Well, I think there's always the fear that it'll get worse, considering what they've been through. I think our members have prepared for anything and <laughs> hoping for the best, uh, but expecting the worst, maybe, unfortunately. But uh, really, the supply chain problems have improved somewhat. Really, the biggest problem we're still hearing from our members about is uh, inflation and worker shortage. And how that then kind of comes back to the supply chain is that uh, in your transportation field, we're really seeing a worker shortage and a bigger um, 
gap in qualified workers even applying for those jobs. So that's been really frustrating, particularly in the transportation, manufacturing, and construction sectors. But that's that's kind of you know those those three sectors affect everything, right? <laughs> Exactly. That's that's the bedrock the whole thing is built on, basically. Uh, and we, we keep hearing the phrase, nobody wants to work anymore. But the problem is, we had a lot of po- people during the pandemic from the second largest generation of people ever born in America, the boomer generation, uh, that retired during the pandemic. They said, we're done. And d- d- do you think the problem is we just didn't have enough people to fill those slots, so we have some openings that we just don't know what to do with? Or is there something more going on? Well, I was talking about this this morning as well. It, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag when you ask folks about it. And I really do think we're a couple years out from really understanding the data that'll be behind it. And I'm sure there'll be lots of economists and those sorts of studying all of this. But you certainly see an increased number of people starting their own own businesses. You see people who've returned to school uh, to go get some other education, to do something else. They've figured out that what they were doing isn't what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Um, so it's real a real mixed bag. And then the people who said, you know what, it just doesn't make sense to go through all this. I'd rather stay home with my kids or, you know, or instead of paying for child care and all the things and worried about all the things that came along with the pandemic. So I don't know. You know, it'll be interesting to kind of see where we are Next year, next summer, the SBA does an annual profile of each state and the small business, you know, the whole makeup of small business in that state each year, uh, and it comes out around the summer. And I'll be interested to see how it looks, you know, next year and in the the following to kind of see really where those changes were over the course of the past couple years. Now, let me ask you one thing that you said in there. I want to bring it out for a second. You talked about a lot of people are starting up businesses, and I know that's true. I've seen several people that I know that have started businesses. Are you seeing an uptick in membership with your organization? We do. We have a lot. Um, it's been an ebb and flow. You know, we were fortunate in, during COVID to not not lose a, all of our membership, but we certainly lost some across the country. And Mississippi was no different than any other state. People had to make tough choices about how they spend the dollars that they put towards memberships. Um, you know, but we've seen a lot of folks come back with a bigger investment in uh, the fact that they want to be involved in an organization like ours because they want that voice. They want to know what's going on. You know, so many small business owners caught the, caught, were caught a little flat-footed, well, a lot flat-footed. Uh, I think everybody was, not just small business owners, but with the pandemic. But we certainly were in a position where we were able to push out information to people who weren't even our members. And so for us as an organization, it was really good to be in that position. And we hope to continue to be able to do that because we see people coming to us, you know, seeking that opportunity to know what's going on and be more involved. Because I think it came to light that you really have to be involved uh, in the process to understand what's going on and impact it. You know, you and I have talked many times all the way through the pandemic. You and I talk quite a bit. uh, And I don't think I've ever done this. I want to take just a moment. This is your opportunity for a plug. What 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 is the National Federation of Independent Small Business? What do you do, and why should somebody be a member? 
Well, thank you. Um, we, we we represent small business owners. We are the voice of small business in all 50 states and in D.C. And so that's kind of what makes us unique. We're very member-driven. Our members have a voice in what we do. So when I go and lobby an issue at the state capitol there in Jackson, it's because our members have told us how they feel about it, whether they support or oppose it. And uh, and so we, we have a unique model in that regard. It's not a board of directors telling you what you're going to do or anything like that. Uh, very member-driven, and uh, you can learn more at NFIB.com. Uh, we have great resources there, and we try to, like I said, just try to be we're for the small business community. We have a legal center that kind of go, delves into some of these, uh, like the PPP program, the employee retention tax credit that's out there. A lot of people don't know about. We try to educate our members on that and small business owners as well. You don't, we have webinars on our website and you don't have to be a member to necessarily look at those. And then we get really involved in politics. We, yeah. uh, we try to hold those legislators accountable. That's an important part of what we do. And so next year, we'll be having a voting record come out on the legislature, and and we'll certainly get involved in a lot of races there in Jackson, well, in Mississippi. Well, and let me ask you this question, because that leads into it perfectly. Uh, We do have the new session coming up uh, in January. Is anything on your radar for the Federation of Small Businesses right now that you're looking at legislation-wise for the upcoming session that you would like to see happen or that you hear is going to happen that you have an interest in? Well, we certainly have uh, interest in anything tax-related, tort reform-related, you know, the things that really impact anybody's ability to own, operate, and grow their business. Workers' comp, unemployment insurance, all of those day-to-day things that you kind of don't necessarily think about. We're thinking about those things that you need to be sure you're able to run your business. But I think they'll be interesting. We're very lucky to have a pro-small business legislature there in Mississippi. Um, So so glad to work with so many folks who understand whenever I call about an issue there's I don't know that I've ever had anybody tell me well I don't get why small business should be worried about that you know they really are very open and receptive to the understanding that small business owners are impacted by so many different policy decisions so uh, we'll be watching uh, a lot of the things coming out as far as any other further reduction in the income tax we'll certainly be uh, supporting that we were we were so happy to work with the leadership and see that happen last year we hope that more will come um, in a responsible way we understand that is an important part of the budget uh, and then we'll be actually going out to our members in the next month or so to ask them about a, a number of policies that are kind of out there, things that we're seeing in other states that are happening that we want to know, okay, well, it's happening in other states. Will it happen in Mississippi? And if it does, what's your opinion of it? So we'll be doing that in the next couple of months to kind of get a read, and then we'll be going from there. So I'll definitely take a take a come back to you on that one to, to let you know what our legislative agenda looks like come January. Well, and at this point, from what you're saying, you, you haven't really taken the temperature of the membership yet to find out what's important to them, which is, is kind of the point, right? That's exactly the point. We want to see how they feel about, you know, particular things. Uh, you know, uh, it, one of the issues that's kind of floating around, which you know we hope that Mississippi is a you know is an energy an energy friendly state. But you know, one of these issues kind of that float around the Northeast is clean air standards and how that affects your ability to own the kind of car you want to own and uh, what kind of regulations they want to put on developers. So there's a lot of things out there that we have to watch. 
It's Don McVeigh with the uh, National Federation of Independent Small Businesses. Can you hang on for a minute? Sure. We'll talk to Dawn a little bit more when we come back. I, I, I want to quiz you about inflation a bit more. Stuff's getting pricey, Dawn. Some, some days right in time for the holidays. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how that works out, isn't it? Those pricing guns are going to overheat before long, having to keep changing those stickers. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back. we got Dawn McVeigh with us here on Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios on Supertalk Mississippi. With Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Super Talk Mississippi, live in the Element Wealth Studios on Middays with Don McVeigh on the line with us and on the air. Uh, the Mississippi and Louisiana director of the National Federation of Independent Small Businesses. And Don, uh, we, we mentioned inflation and we talked about it, and let, let's dig into that just a little bit. I mean, obviously, prices are going up for everyone, but sometimes we forget that it's not just the consumer that's seeing the higher prices. The small businesses are seeing higher prices on everything, which is why consumers are seeing high prices. Uh, what what are you hearing in terms of the inflation from your membership? Uh, is it is it leveling out some? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? And what are their thoughts about where we're headed with this? Well, this month we saw fewer members ex- say that they had to raise prices. So that was really positive. Um, we've seen it kind of up and down a little bit the past couple of months. We were seeing a steady incline in, you know, members reporting that they were having to increase uh, prices at the beginning of the year. Then that's, you know, just kind of leveled off. And we were really glad to see it this month but then the because you also started to see some drops in the prices of uh, gas but now you see that kind of starting to go back up in some of the articles we're seeing and so now we're like okay i think members are going to be like will we have to further increase prices because gas prices affect everything right you have to you have to transport products like i said at the beginning so um, and some members who, you know, some small business owners who have, have businesses that are heavy in the transportation have even higher prices associated with that. So, uh, you know, I think the next couple of months will be interesting to see, but they have hit a point where they've leveled off on the price increases because you can only go so far and still keep folks coming in your doors, right? So that's been the hard, really hard balancing act that they've been doing the past couple months. Well, and that's the problem because there is only so high you can raise it, especially in a short amount of time. But if their underlying cost as a business owner continue to rise, but they've kind of hit the ceiling on their price increase, well, before long, profit goes out the window and, and you're operating at a loss and nobody can do that for very long. So have you heard any worries of, of inflation increasing but not being able to increase the price at an acceptable level for the customers to keep the business open? That's always the worry, right? Yeah, 
the open and yeah, the keeping the doors open. And you know, business owners have to make tough choices at that point. If they're looking at a point where they're not in a position to operate one quarter in the red, you know, they may have to let an employee go, you know, I mean, that's the tough choice that they make, you know, and that's not, that's not their first choice. That's, that's definitely not the first thing on the list because they want to cut where they can and, and, you know, live on the thin margin that they already live on for small business owners, but they, they don't want to have to cut employees, but, you know, they may cut hours and they may start working more. We saw right after the pandemic and even earlier this year, whenever uh, the labor shortage was even worse, you know, you had a lot of owners back in their stores, back in their shops, back doing the things that they were doing when they first opened, you know, right? They were they were having to do those things again. So, you know, to, to cut costs on management, the side of, you know, salaries and that kind of thing. So they're going to they're gonna adapt, they're going to juggle, they're going to make it work as best they can um, with where they're at. But yeah, they, you know, cutting employees and raising prices are not two things that a small business owner wants to ever have to do. Well, the upshot is small business owners had a very rough time during the pandemic for some very obvious reasons. Uh, now they're having a tough time with in, in a different way. Uh, some of them. The the upshot of this is it's not easy to be a small business owner, is it? No. <laughs> no, it is not. You have to have a lot of grit and fortitude. You have to have a real desire, you know, to do what it is that you're out there doing. You know, I mean, you're an entrepreneur. The the term entrepreneurial spirit is, is definitely something that some people have and others don't. And the people that have it and they really believe in what they're doing, and they really love what they're doing, uh, you know, even with all the headaches and the burden and the stress that come with it, they love they love what they do. And I guess that's the beautiful part of our country, right? Exactly. And that's why we need to support them, though, because small business plays such a huge role in the economy and just in life in general. They, they need your support whenever possible, uh, especially during rough patches like we're having right now. What's the end game, Dawn? Are, are we looking at a time, uh, and I know you, you don't do this, you can't do this, but uh, just as a guess, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, is there ever going to be a time where we return to 2019 for small business owners? Wow, that's crazy to think of, right? It wasn't that long ago, and it's it's really concerning to think that, you know, especially given where, where the economy was, small business owners were just rolling. I mean, it was great, and, uh, and economies uh, across the country were doing well. We, we certainly hope so. You know, we hope that there will be some changes in leadership in D.C. Uh, we'll have some, a Congress that isn't, isn't trying to provoke small business owners and put them out of business every other day of the week um, and and put mandates down that are, are not helpful at all. And uh, and we'll continue to hope that the legislature in Mississippi and the leadership there continue to think about small business when they make policy choices. And I think that if as we roll through the next couple of years, I know the uh, next couple of months, I'm sorry, as we get through on the other side of this, uh, this election cycle, I know our members will feel better at least having some decisions made. Elections always tend to make them have a pessimistic look on, uh, outlook on, on things because elections are just kind of yucky <laughs> sometimes. Um, so they'll be glad to get on the other side of this, see where we are after these midterms 
and hope that we can uh, have a Congress that is productive for small business and really just gets out of the way, honestly. We just need government to get out of the way. I thought that was very cute the way you said elections are yucky sometimes. That that was cute. I like that. No, it's always a problem, and I I think that that leads to a lot of problems for small business owners. Uh, not not even the question of who's going to win and who's going to be in charge, but the uncertainty. We're we're less than a month away from the election. We're what three weeks away, uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and it's hard to plan for the future. And if you're a successful uh, small business owner, you're planning six months down the road. They're already planning what they're going to be doing for their Easter promotions right now, sitting here. In October, and it's really hard to do that when you don't know what's going to happen in less than a month. Well, at least we're on the other side of these constant, well, we might shut down, or we might mandate this, we might mandate that. We've gotten on the other side of that, so I think that's really positive. Um, but yeah, I think you have a lot of small business owners who are really hoping, praying, wishing all the things for a really strong fourth quarter to finish out this year and um, and, and go into 2023 with hopefully what will be a better outlook for, you know, the cost of cost of goods and services for this inflation to flatten out, start to lower, uh, really lower. I, I, you know, you see it go down a notch and up a notch and, you know, like I said, and really when you have higher gas prices and higher gas grocery prices, you know, and they tell you inflation went down, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? So I think there's a, a real need for the economy to settle down in that regard, and then and then they, the folks can really, really unleash the power of small business. I think you're exactly right. One more time, what's the website? Oh, NFIB.com. NFIB.com. That's so easy. I can remember it. That's pretty. You did a good job picking that one, Dawn. I like that. Uh, National it's Federation. Easy. That's what we do. Uh, Independent Small Business. Dawn McVeigh, uh, the Mississippi and Louisiana director. If you'd like to talk to her, uh, once the session starts, just go hang around the Capitol building. She'll be through eventually. That's the way it usually works. Dawn, always a pleasure to talk to you. Always enjoy it. Thank y'all so much. We appreciate y'all. Don McVeigh, uh, really doing a good job for some people that need someone to be doing a good job for them, and that's small business owners in the state of Mississippi. I uh, want to remind you again, middays tomorrow on the road, headed on up to uh, Tupelo, Tupelo Furniture Market, going to be there kicking off the 20th anniversary of Celebration Village. And then on Thursday, the next day, the Gallo Show on the road at, go ahead, Will. Communiversity. Good enough. We will pass you on that one. That's okay. They're going to be at Community University on uh, Thursday uh, to uh, check out the Career Expo uh, plans and everything else that's going on. Uh, the community colleges, I have talked about this before, are so hugely important. And we have a fantastic community college system in America. Sometimes we don't recognize that, that the one in Mississippi is one of the leading community college systems in the entire country. And, and that's not hyperbole. That's just not trying to fluff it up. It's just a fact. We're good. You'll hear more about it on Thursday uh, with the Gallo Show live in Columbus. Keep it here. We continue. Half hour to go. That clock on the wall is ticking. We're going to try to keep up with it when we come back on Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios. Keep it here.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays in the Element Wealth Studios on a Tuesday. Dave Hughes filling in on this day and uh, changing tax just a little bit here. We've been off in the serious weeds for a while. Uh, the metaverse. We keep hearing about this. What a big deal it is. How important it is. Do you have any interest in it, Will? No, I did use one of those Oculus VR virtual reality things one time. It was pretty cool. So what we did was uh, a friend of mine had one, and we used Google Maps on it. So you can travel to some place, and you can literally walk around, you know, and it's like you can look look over here and you see the sky and you look over here and you see the street and you go all over the world and do it. So it, it is that part of it's pretty neat. I also played a video game uh, doing that and it was like you were moving your hands and doing all this kind of stuff. As far as what the metaverse is, I still I'm not smart enough to understand exactly what it is. Well, Mark Zuckerberg, who is so high up in Facebook that the air is too thin for his brain to get enough oxygen, apparently, has decided that everybody is going to live in the metaverse. You're going to work in the metaverse. You're going to take meetings in the metaverse. You're going to do your shopping in the metaverse. You're going to do everything with one of those sets of goggles on your head. Yes. He's sunk billions, literally, with an S at the end, billions of dollars into this. He can't get the people at Facebook to use it. (laughs) Well, that's a problem. He mandated that everybody inside the company had to use it to, to do their meetings. The majority of the people immediately panicked because they didn't even have a headset. They hadn't even bought one. They didn't care. So they went and bought one, and they log in for these little quick meetings so they can say they do it. And the internal reports are, then they log out and all get together in person and finish up what they were talking about. (laughs) So it's the opposite of working. And he doesn't get it. And I understand he thinks he's a visionary, but no. This is another case. It's like the electric vehicles. Will we trend more in that direction as we move forward? Yes. Are we going to make it happen by deciding it's time to make it happen? No. Yeah, it kind of has to happen organically, I would say. There was one, and one thing that I think people don't understand but is... If, if you can't describe something in a sentence or two, it's if, very difficult for most people to catch on to it. And it's even more complicated than that because when... He's talking about the metaverse. He's talking about the the, the Facebook product, uh, the company that's now called Meta, because he has gone so gaga over this whole idea. It's not the only one. There are other companies that have their own metaverse, and they don't link together. Yeah. 
So it's just like a, a 3D in-person version of websites. One of them was bragging this week, said that for the month of September, they had had 8,000 users. And they said that was good. We had more people than that at some of the high school football games last Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's just not there yet. I don't, and I don't understand. Again, I don't quite under like NFTs. I don't quite understand what that is. I'm, I like to think that I'm smart, but obviously I'm not because I can't quite grasp what that is. NFTs are simple. I can explain that. So let's say you're a small baby and your mama drops on, drops you on your head. Eventually, you come up with the idea for NFT. I, I did, that's the only way I can think of to explain it because it's an image that you're buying the full rights to, but anybody can right-click and save it onto their desktop. But it's not supposed to represent the image. It's supposed to represent a, a different thing, whether it be a work of art. We have one guy uh, last week uh, overseas. He sold 10,000 NFT artworks, each one different, and each one... The NFT was a picture, a JPEG, of a painting he had done. He did 10,000 paintings. Then he offered them the option, the 10,000 people, they could keep the NFT and burn the painting, or they could take the painting, but they had to give up the NFT and destroy it. Over 4,900 of them said, ah, oh, burn the painting. I want to keep the, the NFT. I just don't I, – I can't grasp it. We have the cart so far out in front of the horse that the horse can no longer see the cart. That's part of the problem. We have gone off into the crazy years, and as a result, nothing's getting done. It's where we're at. Yeah. The basics are slipping because we're over here, you know, playing with this stuff. And don't get me wrong, I am a huge technology nerd. I love this stuff. I love all of this stuff. I've been an early adopter my entire life. I had my first personal computer, what was it, 1980, I think? I mean, yeah, I've been an early adopter my entire existence. Something pops out, I've got it. But we're focusing on the wrong things. We're focusing all of our energy and our time in the wrong direction to me. Some of that, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead, go off, play with it. But like with the metaverse and everything else, we're focusing on that as the future of humanity. Oh, oh, chill out. Take yeah. a break. Second Life did it 15 years ago. What, what, what are you bringing what to the What happens when day? the power cuts out? You can't charge your electric car. And we're right back on that subject what again. What happens when a squirrel jumps on that transformer? <laughs> that happens. from the country. That used to happen all the time. It still does. <laughs> that, that, yes, I did own a Tandy Thomas. Thomas knew exactly what I was talking about. Uh, yeah, the, the, the squirrel problem is uh, rampant. I have a problem at my house because the squirrels keep chewing through the cable that brings Internet into my house. Really? Yeah. I've had to have it replaced. They've had to come drop a new cable like three different times because the squirrels eat through it. And I asked the guy last time, he's standing out there running this cable, and I'm standing back watching because I'm totally useless in this situation. So I'm saying, does this happen a lot? He said, oh, I do about five a day like this. <laughs> I said, what are they doing? He said, nobody can really figure it out. Some people say they like the taste of the, the wire inside. <laughs> Some people say they're wearing their teeth down on the rubber coating. We don't know, but they just do this all the time. 
and we just replace it and move on. Economic so, drivers, you know, keeping people employed, those squirrels. Yes, the, those squirrels out there helping prop up the economy in today's tough nut market. I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, it's a trash 80. Yes, I had a TRS-80. It was not a trash 80 at the time. It was about all you could get, roughly, uh, at that point. Had a cassette uh, drive storage system which was basically a cassette recorder hooked into the computer that recorded that awful screaming noise the Internet made when you hooked into it. I was telling my kid about that the other day. I said, you know, used to, when you hooked up to the Internet, nobody could be on the phone, and it screamed at you until it made the connection. And he said, you're weird. (laughs) I was like, son, you're 22. How how can you fit? But, yeah. So things have changed. Things have advanced. And I believe in being an early adopter, but I also believe there are limits. And sometimes you uh, you have to get the crops in. Sometimes you got to take the washing off the line, and you're not going to do that in the metaverse. Well, I think if we hit this recession like we're probably in right now, uh, the brakes will be put on a lot of that stuff uh, because these companies are going to have to start focusing on you know making a profit and basic stuff like that, which... Some of them aren't doing, a lot of them aren't doing right now. No, that's exactly right. And, and it's productivity and employees and capital and everything else that's going in the wrong direction. I, I just realized this entire segment, I sound like I'm 95 years old. And with the beard, you kind of, you know. You kids! Get off my lawn! <sighs> i got to work on that. I need some youthening treatments, apparently. Uh talking about advances, by the way. They started this yesterday in Canada. Uber Eats in Canada is now delivering weed. They have partnered with a an online cannabis retailer named Leafly. Can't make any of this up. You can now, once you verify that you are at least 19 years old and sober, I'm not sure how you're doing that when you order it from the app. I blow on the phone. I don't know. It doesn't say. Uh, then they will bring you some some edibles or uh, vape cartridges or whatever with THC in it uh, to your house. Uber Eats was asked, so are you going to expand this? Are you going to bring it to America? And they said, we have no plans to break into the U.S. market at this time. We will take no further questions. Thank you. And left. (laughs) Like, we're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So don't get your hopes up. We're already looking at possible delays before medical marijuana is actually on the shelves and available in Mississippi. They're not going to be delivering. You're not going to be tipping your weed guy when he pulls up in the yard after you made an online order anytime soon. So when you hear that story floating around, don't get excited. When we come back, the Power Rangers are real. Well... I'll leave you with this one. They they are real. I'll give you the story in the final segment of Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios, right after this. Keep it here. Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard, here on Super Talk Mississippi.
I did not have an Amiga, but I had a buddy that did, and you were right. Back in 1980, we were like, oh, my goodness, it looks so real. And you look at it now, and it's like, you know, looks like something your third grader drew in crayon. But at the time, it was mind-blowing. Welcome back, Middays, in the Element Wealth Studios. I want to draw a comparison. We were talking to Lucian Smith last hour about the water situation and the ongoing battles and struggles and everything that's happening. Uh, I want to draw a comparison between Jackson, Mississippi, and Australia, the country. And I think the continent. uh, Well, same thing. Country continent. It's all one thing. You know, they they don't they don't you know quibble about it. They're too busy trying to not be killed by every single other living creature in the place uh, to worry about it. This is how things go when you are determined that no one else is going to have any say in who gets hired. This seems to be an example case right here. They have a thing going on, the Bureau of Meteorology, Australia's version of the National Weather Service. Well, they went through a rebranding recently. They paid a communications company... Just under seventy thousand dollars, sixty nine thousand and some hundred dollars, to come up with a new name for the agency, to rebrand it, to give it a new logo, a new name, a new everything. So it's no longer the Bureau of Meteorology. It will now henceforth be known as the Bureau. Now, now let's dig in. Why? Why does this have anything to do with the situation in Jackson, Mississippi? Well, the name change was driven by a guy named Jack Walden, who owned the communications company that was hired to come up with the rebranding. Well, he got the contract in September, and then in November, suddenly, he got hired by the Bureau at a high-paying, cushy job after getting the $70,000 to put in the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears to fight through and rebrand the Bureau of Meteorology as the Bureau. Everyone's making fun of it. The the president of, of Australia is saying, I don't understand any of this. Why did this happen? This makes no sense to me. And it's it's <clears throat> it's becoming pretty clear that it was a whole nepotism thing. The guy over the Bureau of Meteorology had a buddy named Jack Walton. Walden he wanted to throw some business to. So he threw him 70000 and then after that, hired him on at the Bureau while he was still working on the rebranding, and he's still working for the Bureau right now, even after the rebranding is done in a nice, high-paying, cushy job. When you don't have checks and balances, when you don't have anybody else involved, when you have someone who is determined to do what they want to do the way they want to do it with no outside help, interference, or or assistance of any kind, you wind up spending $70,000 to change the Bureau of Meteorology to the Bureau. Well worth the money. But that that's a great example. Do they not have enough to do? No, and this is something that that there's a big stink going on still about it right now, Uh, still in Australia. Uh, So Twitter being Twitter, a whole bunch of people, once this came out, immediately went and grabbed up every possible Twitter handle that used the Bureau. (laughs) 
<laughs> All of them. They, they have no Twitter handle because they couldn't get their hands on one. So, just wanted to throw that out there as a current event halfway around the planet that you might see some connections and you might see some relevance there. Again, we don't know. We have no idea. Sure what it smells like, isn't it? And it's not getting any better, I'm afraid. Um, You're going to like this one, Will. A Raymond shop, you know, Raymond noodles, restaurants, uh, in Oakland, California. Well, they they had a, a new thing Friday night that they were introducing called the Power Rangers Cocktail. So they had a whole bunch of staff people as part of a promotional thing dressed up as the Power Rangers. And I've got a picture here. I'm talking the full outfit, the helmets, all of it. Well, while this was going on, (laughs) a woman was in there. A guy came up, had a problem with her, whatever it was, and put her in a chokehold. I mean, this was a serious thing. The staff jumped into action, so I want you to imagine, you big tough guy, I'm going to teach this woman what's what. You get her in a chokehold, you hear somebody say, stop, and you turn around, and it's the full Power Rangers team coming at you. The witnesses in the video say, the guy turned around to fight him, and every punch he threw, one of them blocked it and hit him back instead, and he eventually just ran off. And they chased him out the door. It's morphin' time. It's morphin' time, baby. Just imagine what, what that guy has a story to tell in jail now. What are you in for? You got taken down by a cop. Well, guess what I had? You you were lucky. You didn't have to deal with the Megazord, dude. Have a wonderful day, my friend. We will do it again soon. Middays on the road tomorrow with Gerard up in Tupelo. Have a great day. Be safe. See you later. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.